Hi, I'm Dr. Akiva Down. And I'm Rabbi Avi Green. And welcome to Interesting Questions. In this podcast, we'll be addressing issues that are philosophical, religious, and psychological in nature, and exploring some of the deeper questions as we go into Season 2. We will be focusing on that which is considered to be controversial, and there may not be a right or wrong answer. So we are hoping that our discussions will yield more questions for your Shabbos table. Okay, so Akiva, we are at that time of year, the time where we ask forgiveness from one another, from others that we've hurt, and from Hashem. And I gotta ask, what happens if I don't want to forgive somebody? What if somebody who has, I believe, really wronged me and done something that, that I don't know that it's really beyond the pale, they haven't hurt me physically or or, uh, or, or physically injured someone in my family, but they're, they've caused me great distress, and they've caused me great despair, and maybe they've even impacted me financially. And I don't want to forgive them for that. Is there an insight that you can share on that? So... Avi, I think that, you know, the I'm going to fall back on the old saying, and, and I don't know who said it first, but certainly it wasn't me. But, you know, they say, if you want forgiveness, seek religion. So I'm going to have to throw it back on you. Is it is it okay if I don't want to forgive someone? So I know that Halacha definitely talks about, right, that that in order to really seek forgiveness... There are a number of factors that have to be present. You have to be authentic in the way that you that you uh, approach someone. You have to be able to approach them multiple times. Um, we talk about at least three times, right? And it can't just be, do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? Do you forgive me? Right? Um, you need to be able to be specific. And again, I think that's part of being authentic in asking for that forgiveness. And so, I guess my question is, when does it go from being simply a matter of, I feel hurt, to what I really want is revenge, because I'm holding a grudge. And is that healthy? Is that natural? Is that something that we should try and let go of? Will we feel better when we, if we, if we hear the person out? Or do we just sort of hold on to the hurt and hold it as a, a small flame inside ourselves? I love that you separated out natural and healthy because I think all too often we feel like natural is healthy. And no, no, it's not always the, that the two are, are a marriage. Uh, I think it's certainly natural that 
we sometimes find ourselves wanting to have retribution or revenge. But we have a lot of great words for this. Comeuppance, revenge, uh, schadenfreude, uh, which doesn't necessarily completely apply, but it, it kind of fits in the context. And I, I think that it's very natural to have those inclinations. And, and I think the fact that we have the capacity to forgive and to make amends kind of shows that how much of a gift it is to have that. Because our natural inclination is, you hurt me, I hurt you. And if we have the ability then to say, you hurt me, I forgive you, that is a gift. And the truth is, is that forgiveness does make us feel better. Uh, I think that we are really, as children, we're taught about forgiveness and apologies in a very backwards way. We are taught you should apologize to somebody that you hurt because it will make them feel better. That is not true. Apologies don't make the other person feel better. If I hurt your feelings and I apologize for it, you still have hurt feelings. I feel better. I have taken ownership of the fact that I did something wrong and caused someone else pain. Therefore, I apologize, and in a true apology, right, saying I'm sorry is the first step, to quote the great Fred Rogers, and the second step is how can I help? Therefore, a true apology is to make me feel better, to correct my mistake, and to ideally not repeat it, Forgiveness makes you feel better. When you forgive someone who hurts you, you get to let go of that. You don't have to hold on to that pain anymore. You get to say, I forgive you. And, you know, there's, there's such a value to looking at it in that perspective. A... I think it would make it a lot easier for people to apologize, uh, at least to give true apologies, right? If I knew, if when I was six, I knew that if I hurt somebody's feelings and I was apologizing, it was because it would make me feel better, I have a feeling the six-year-old self of mine would have been much more willing to always give true apologies because someone else wouldn't be making me do it because I needed to correct for the other person. And similarly, I think when I was being apologized to as a six-year-old, if I knew that it didn't matter whether they meant the apology or not, the power was in mine whether or not I could choose to forgive and therefore feel better, then it puts an entirely different spin on it. It makes it say that if you give me a false apology but I forgive, I get to feel better. What amazing power that is. I get to change my own feelings based on my words, not yours. And the truth is, is that my feelings are based off of my words, not yours. So that's great when you're six, but let's imagine you're 26 or 36 or 46 or... All the more so. And the person maybe doesn't even believe that they've done anything wrong. And yet you feel to be the aggrieved party. Is there 
a place to forgive them even if they have not asked for forgiveness. Well, yes, all, all the more so, right? So when someone, when someone doesn't feel that they've wronged you, then the reason in part why you might feel bad is because not only do you feel hurt, but you also feel invalidated. They have said that they didn't do something wrong when you clearly feel wronged. So that's a double hit. And at the same time, and, and when I say telling, forgiving someone, I don't mean going up to them and saying, well, I know you don't think you did anything wrong, but I forgive you anyway. Uh, that's, that's passive aggressive. That's entirely different. But when you take an introspective view and you say, whether this person hurt me or not, I am choosing to not hold on to that hurt, and I am choosing to forgive them and to move past it, to grow from it, to change from it, then all the more so the six-year-old you may simply say, oh, forgive, okay, that's good. But, but truly, the, the more mature and advanced you can truly take solace in the idea that you can not only validate your own experience, but also you can choose to have correction in your feelings and, and drive your emotions. And again, the more that we decide that we can have control over that rather than letting us be driven externally by someone else, the more whole we feel and the more in control we feel, which is a great way to, other than if you need medical attention, treat things like anxiety, depression, sadness, normal emotions, right? Some of those are some of those are pathological, as we've discussed before. Anxiety and depression would be pathological states. Sadness, worry, upset, frustration. These are all normal emotions. But if I know that I can choose to feel what I'm going to feel and to validate myself instead of needing validation from others, there's power behind that. So, Akiva, walk me through validating something myself, right? If I am frustrated with the person um, who fired me from a job, or I'm frustrated, you know, and, and holding a grudge against my teacher from years ago, or how do, I, how do I validate myself? How do I let that go when either I'm not in contact with that person, I don't want to be in contact with that person, what does that look like? How do I how do I manifest it? So we've we've discussed before, and and I think it's safe to say established that our life and our ex and and our whole outlook can be fashioned from multiple experiences, not just one thing. While we have perhaps different things that have different weights in our life of experience, uh, the fact is, is that there's not one defining moment. We often talk about one defining moment in, in movies or in books, but, but the truth is, is that there isn't just one defining moment. There's oftentimes big moments that define parts, but they don't necessarily determine everything about us, right? So, and, and we've as I said before, we moved away from this in medicine, right? So identity, 
right? And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about identity. So in medicine, we don't refer to the diabetic on the gurney or the, the schizophrenic in, in the room. We refer to them as people with diagnoses, which was sadly something that took way too long to figure out. But, um, you know, if, you, if you're bringing up examples such as that, the truth is, is that if you are so distraught by one particular situation, one particular experience, that you have decided it has been the sole defining feature for your entire character, then that is something that needs to be worked through, and, and that is something we often would work through in therapy. Uh, but it's not like we fix it by saying, well, go back and talk to that person. Sometimes that person isn't even around anymore. Or sometimes, yeah, it's not a good idea for us to talk to that person. Uh, but at the same time, I could look back and I could say, well, this teacher, as you said, this teacher, you know, failed me on this test and therefore, and blah, blah, blah. And, and I could say that person was the, the worst teacher ever and, and all that other stuff. Or I could look at where I am now. I could look at where I've gone and what I've done and what choices I've made and what choices I haven't made. And I could determine where that level of experience truly fits. And oftentimes, it's not just a one thing. This idea of, you know, when we think about time travel and if you step on the wrong twig, you could change the existence of gravity. I don't think that that's true. I think that when we look at our experiences and when we really look at those experiences that we've had that have been driving forces they are based off of a number of experiences that led up to that and a number of experiences that happened after that uh, let's let's go with that time travel for a moment i'm going to spoil the back to the future series uh, but it came out in i believe the the 80s and 90s, so you've had plenty of time to watch it, and if you haven't, I, I take no responsibility for that. But and Here's your spoiler alert. Yes, there you go, that, that was it. So, right, at, at the end of the third movie, one of the things they show is that Marty McFly, Michael J. Fox, who played Marty McFly, right, he's in his truck and he's going to race uh, Needles, and, and and the whole thing was is he was called a chicken, and he didn't want to be called a chicken, and he was going to race him because he was called a chicken, or yellow, or both of which are apparently reasons to drive recklessly and risk killing yourself. They are not. I, that was a sarcasm. Uh, and and so what happens? Well, when he grows up throughout the three movies, in the end, he doesn't race him. He does something equally foolish, which is put the car in reverse and go backwards unnecessarily. Uh, but he doesn't get into that terrible accident, thereby changing the course of events forever. But the truth is, is think about what it took. There were multiple scenarios within those three movies that led him to understand that being called yellow or a chicken or being called a name of any kind did not define who you were. 
So whereas, you know, then his girlfriend, Jennifer, pulls out the paper that says, then the, your fire disappears from the facts, because apparently in 2000 and something we were supposed to still be faxing regularly. That was the highlight. Uh, right? At, but that's not what happens. He doesn't just make one decision that changes everything. He makes a series of decisions. And that's the point. While, yes, there are major experiences and minor experiences, the likelihood is that one single event changed the course of everything is highly unlikely. So therefore, we have to look at that entire process and consider what do we take from that. And that does let us have validation because now we can say, in this case, I will speak for Marty McFly since he was made up and therefore cannot speak for himself, that that one event may have not led to a major car crash, but did it prevent him from ever getting fired from a job? Not necessarily. However, learning the insight to say that he can have self-validation even if somebody else calls him a name, well then guess what? That probably prevented him from both getting into a car crash and from getting fired from any numerous jobs. So, I think the question around the Shab's table, or the question in preparation for Rosh Hashanah is, who can you forgive? And what work on ourselves do we need to do in order to be able to forgive them? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at iqdiscuss at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and responding.